You remember when you were a teenager, you were maybe a child, maybe a a child, but when you were a teenager and your parent told you to do something the first time and then you went right out and did it. Do you remember that? You did not do you did not do that in case you have dementia or amnesia you forgot that you did not do that uh, let me just ask a different question parents do you remember the time that you told your child to do something and they did it expediently right away every time do y'all remember this no hands go up that's this is my point right here it's 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 funny because when I when when I remember myself growing up I never did what my mom told me ever the first time uh there was some careful love and diligence to my situation and to my derriere that would allow me to move on to obedience and so uh, even in with my own children i find myself being a great uh order because i have to communicate constantly right amen that's just what it is it's what parenting is and so as i was thinking about that whole thing i thought well you know what we're we're children of god I wonder if he feels this way with us. (laughs) I've told you before, let me tell you again. And so uh, I believe this morning we are talking about what the Lord wants to tell us again. You know, if you think back to it, the reason why God tells you more than once is because the first time he told you, like the first time your parent told you, is because you heard it, but you had other ideas. Can we just be honest? Be honest with me, all right? You had other ideas. Your mom said, do this, this, and that. And you said, well, you know, I probably wouldn't do it that way. You know, and then you have another decision, a direction that you might take. And I find the same way as with God. When God gives us instruction, we often think to ourselves, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, maybe I could find another way. And we tend to find other ways because we, we don't implicitly trust that God's way is always the best way, Right? Because way before we asked God for help, we had already designed the blueprint to the answer. I just need you to approve that, Lord. And so here we are in a place where we always tell the Lord, God, I feel like my desires and my discernment are a little bit better in this area. No, we would never say that, but our actions tell us everything, right? That we're just children in the kingdom of God, just committing the same sins and same actions that we did when we were young. And so what happens this morning when the Lord's desires is not what we desire? What happens when the Lord's desire is not what we desire? Let's pray this morning. Father in heaven, oh God, can I tell you that we're needy? (laughs) Can I ask you, Lord, to be patient with us? Oh God, be patient with me. I know, Lord, that there's days, God, I truly do long to set your ways first. But Father, I forget I forget that you are omniscient and omnipotent, Lord. You know all things, God, not just for your sovereignty's sake, but God, you know what's best for me. And I pray that you would never run out of patience with us to remind us again and again and again and again, Lord, that your ways and your thoughts are higher than our ways and our thoughts. And I pray, Father, that you would come alongside every decision that we make, whether it be for you or from you and bring us back to the place that a father desires his children to be in his presence. I ask you, Lord, this morning in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me in the life. For I now live in the flesh. 
I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I have been crucified with Christ. That means I don't have any rights, agendas, or ideas, or directions. Everything that I had before, I laid to the grave, and now I walk in the death of Christ. Everything that I should do, I do because he compels me or asks me to. That's a great, that's a great scripture that we long and we struggle to embrace in our heart. And when I look at that scripture, I think, Lord, how do I, tell me, tell me, God, how I am not uh, living uh, dead for you. That I'm not allowing your life to live for me. And as I begin to think about that, I realize that I think our prayer life is one of the greatest proofs of our lack of or submission to God. Where are you really at? Are you really living for Christ? Is Christ living for you? Are, you? are you in truth being crucified with Christ? And it's no longer you who lives, but Christ who lives in you. We can look at our prayer life and say, oh, man, God, let's don't count that area. But let's count all the other areas, too. Let's count how I give and how I serve and how I love. And let's don't, let's don't talk about, you know, the prayer life for a Christian is kind of like, the, we don't really want you to talk about that. We know spiritually we need you to talk about prayer because we all want to go to a church that talks about prayer. But be honest with you, you, you we, we struggle with this thing. To be diligent, to pray the way you know, the way you know you should be praying. To pray the way I know I should be praying. Every time I pray, I realize, I just think, man, I'm, I'm just, man, I fall short. I should be better at this. I should be able to pray and, and ask God and beseech the throne of God. And sometimes I just feel like I'm just not making it there. And so I, I ask myself, Scott, am I fully crucified with Christ? Is it truly no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me? Prayers surrender our wills, our desires, and our discernment. And so when we lack prayer, we lack surrendering our wills, our desires, and our discernment. A heart that does not prioritize prayer is a heart that entertains disobedience. This is important for us to understand. That when we do not prioritize prayers, we are opening ourselves up to a world of disobedience. For prayer is both communion and communication with God that aligns our heart and our will with His. And so as we pray, there is a releasing and letting go, and we come into an alignment with God that he is able to live through us the way he desires to. But when we don't pray or we don't prioritize prayer, we are opening ourselves up and entertaining the heart of disobedience. And that is a scary thing to think because you guys know, as I know, it does not just start there or just end there. It starts there. And so how do we move on? We've been talking about prayer and how prayer moves us from duty to delight. But today, I want to talk about a different path in prayer. And that is from disobedience to despair. You may have been there before, maybe multiple times. Maybe you can teach the class on it. But today, I want to look at the story of Jonah. I feel like this is a man who understands what it means to be disobedient and what, and what it means to, to be in despair. I, I, I love this story because Scripture's letting me know, Scott, you aren't the only stubborn person in, in the world. Uh, you can be a man of God. You can be a prophet. It was called by Jesus that Jonah was a prophet. A prophet of God is not a loose title. You can't just claim that title. We know you're a prophet of God if what you said came true. That's what God said. Here's how you know if he's my prophet, if what he said came true. 
And so we know that of Jonah. And so Jonah is no loose figure that we can mildly relate to, but we understand that he is truly a man of God who hears the word of God. And yet after he hears the word of God, he says, no, not doing that. Not going to do that. And so what we see in our story is, is four things uh, that we need to entertain this morning. So I'm not going to give you four points or four truths. In fact, I'm going to give you four prompts that you need to be asking yourself. And those four things are this, is that in his, in his path or his journey from disobedience to despair, there is the order God has given us that we must choose on what to do. God's given us an order or a command. There is the objection that we supply God with as to why our discernment and desires are better. There is the ordeal God sends our way to save us from our poor choices. And then there is the obedience we must respond in once we've seen the emptiness of our decisions. So let's begin there, the order. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1 through 2. Does anybody know the story of the book of Jonah? You know how you're mildly saved if you know anything about Jonah, right? At least you can act like you're a Christian when you say, I know the story about the fish. Everyone knows about the story about the fish. And so here we are, jumping into the, the whale of a story, right? Okay. All right, here we go. Chapter 1, verse 1 says this, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil was come up before me. I want you to highlight these three words because if I could, I'd tattoo them on your brain and on your eyelids so you would see them everywhere you go. Arise, go, and call. That is the directive that God has given to us, that you are to arise in the morning after an extra hour of sleep. Amen. He was good to you today. Arise, then go, and then call on God. No, he did not say this. He did not say, now, not if you're too tired, not if you're too busy. Jonah, if you're confident enough, if you agree with my plan, Jonah, if you know no better way than arise and go and call. He did not say any of those things. He gave you the imperative verb, which was a command that said, get up, like a dad tells you to, get up, go, and call. Eighteen times in the New Testament, believers are commanded to pray without regard to their situation, their circumstance, their need, or their lack. The Lord has not cared for those things about uh, our, our situation in our life. He simply calls us to a place of prayer. In fact, the Sermon on the Mount is kind of riddled with these types of instructions. When he says, when you pray, the implication is not if you feel like you're praying or, or if you know how to pray or if you're good. He says, when you pray, when you pray, pray this way. Listen to Jesus' instructions on prayer and how clear its directives and its expectations are. Matthew 7, 7 through 11 says this, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven 
give good things to those who ask him. Notice what God is saying here. God is not looking for exceptions to his word. He is communicating expectations from his word. It's important for you, for you to know that because all of us understand that there is a directive and a call and an order that God has called you to prayer. And you know why you should be called to prayer. It's not just discipline. Each one of us have an understanding that you need to come to God and meet him in prayer because. And you have that because in you. There's something inside of you that says, I need to meet with him because. But we fail for some reason. And God's reminding us this morning, he's saying, when you're tired, when you're too busy, arise, go and call. When you're overwhelmed, arise, go and call. When you're doubtful, arise, go and call. But Jonah, he didn't arise, go and call. Jonah rose, but Jonah fled. Look at verse 3 with me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Did you catch that twice in that verse? It says he would flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He wasn't fleeing anything else. But he was fleeing the presence of the Lord, and his goal was to get away from the presence of the Lord. And my question is, is why might Jonah... Without even responding to God, we see, we see no rebuttal there. We see no appeal by Jonah. Jonah doesn't say, God, now you know I, I, there's no way I can go there. You see, I, I think it's something about Jonah he's letting us know is that Jonah understood the character of God so well that there was no need to argue with him. And I wonder to myself, Scott, in all of your rebuttals and appeals to the Lord, maybe you've not fully sought and understood his character because Jonah knew there was no reason to argue with him when the Lord gives you a directive when he gives you an order our job is to obey remember we have died and it's his life that lives in us so what should we know about Jonah and his discernment and his desires as to why he thought his discernment and his desires were greater than the Lord's discernment and desires about the situation you should know that Nineveh was, a, was the capital of Assyria. Uh, Assyria was a, mo the most brutal nation in the world at the time. Uh, they were, it was, as a matter of fact, I think it was in Amos. Uh, when you read through there, it talks about how children were slain in the streets as men were. Uh, so there was no regard to the innocents. They were murdered just as men were murdered. That women were raped in the streets. And this most likely could have been his hometown. And so we don't know the connotation, but we just do know this, that something about um, Jonah says there's no way I'm going down there to preach a message of salvation to those Assyrians, Lord. There's no way. I would equate something like that as a Jew leaving um, uh, Israel to go and preach a message of salvation to Nazi Germany during World War II, that God might relent and not destroy them. It would be difficult for that Jew to say, no, God, forgive them and don't punish them. I, something inside of me, as I read down through here, I realize that Jonah was, Jonah was not okay with them getting off the hook, as it were. Maybe he wanted um, restitution or perhaps even revenge, but he did not want the Assyrians to repent. He wanted them to pay the price for what they'd done. 
And so it says he, he was fleeing to Tarshish. And fleeing to Tarshish, Jonah removed himself from the presence of God. Now what I want you to understand, and this is important because he didn't just leave the temple of God. He left the ground that God had blessed for his nation and his people. For a Jew to, live, to leave Israel was for a Jew to abandon the provision, the promise, and the power of God altogether. He thought, this is not worth it to me. And I'm asking you as we're going through the idea of being called to prayer is that what is it in you and I that when God has called us to a place of prayer that we find some other reason to prioritize that we cannot indulge in prayer. We find some reason why we can't spend some time, whether it be a minute or an hour or whatever God's calls you to be, but we find some way somehow to justify leaving the presence of God. And I would ask you, like I would ask uh, Jonah if I saw him this morning, did you not realize that you forfeited the power, the presence, and the purpose of God in your life along with his provision? Did you not realize that you forfeited all those things because you thought that your discernment was greater? You thought that your schedule was, was better. I would say to you this morning, like I would say to Jonah, Jonah, what were you gaining and what was it costing you? What did you gain at the cost of losing something? I truly believe that Jonah was willing to gain something in the cost of losing another thing. And that gaining for him was simply this. If he could gain that judgment would come, come upon Assyria, he was, it, to him it was worth losing his, his identity as a Jew, the power and the provision and the promises of God that he had as he was at home. But he left all those things for the hope that God might turn his hand and his word against Assyria. Can I tell you that God's word never relents itself. He, he does not ask himself for forgiveness. But God sends his word out, it comes back. He doesn't say, well, I missed that. Whenever God speaks something, that's what he expects from us. And so there's no true exchange. But there is a lie of the enemy that would tell you that you don't have time to enter into prayer. The same way he talks to me and says, Scott, you're too busy. There's some other things. You can get to that later. You just need to cut out an extra time later on in your life. You just need to prioritize better, but right now you're a, a bit busy. You're, you're, you're a bit tired. Uh, or, or maybe you've been dealing with some, some confidence issues, or, or you're tired of the Lord not hearing you. Whatever lie he brings to us, he brings. But the goal is that you'll forfeit now for tomorrow. And so what I want to ask you this morning, as I've asked myself, is what are you exchanging for the presence of God? Are you exchanging sleep? Are you exchanging productivity? Are you exchanging embarrassment or frustration? And that's why you don't go to God in prayer? What if I told you that you were losing a successful marriage in exchange for productivity? What if I told you you were losing financial freedom or wisdom in knowing how to parent or healing in your body and your soul? What if I told you that you were losing discernment in all your decisions? What if I told you that you were losing freedom from your addiction, peace instead of anxiety, righteousness instead of condemnation, faith instead of fear, love instead of loneliness, help instead of heaviness, and grace instead of shame because you thought that something else was more important 
than the presence of God that was waiting for you to enter into. What do we forfeit? What is it that you have thought is more important than those moments with God? We spend more time driving than we do praying. We spend more time worrying than we do praying. We spend more time doing a lot of things that are needless. We spend more time doing things we don't want to do than doing the things that we should do. So the question I'm asking you as I'm asking myself this morning is, is what are we sacrificing when we have failed to arise, go, and call? Jonah demonstrates his disobedience in this way, and now we move on to his distress. So here's what we should know, is that, that God has presented us with an order. We know why we should pray. There is a because to our understanding that we should enter into prayer. But then there's also an objection. So what is the order? What is the cause that you should enter into prayer? But then let me ask you on a personal level, what is your objection? Why do you object? Why do you object? Why, why, why do you say no? What's your justification? Oh, we're so good. We're so good at justification. We could be experts in law on how to justify almost anything for our benefit. And so now we bring us to a place where there's now an ordeal. God gave you an order. You gave him an objection. He goes, okay, now here's an ordeal. Thank God that there's an ordeal. God loves you and shows you that he loves you because he provides you the ordeal. John chapter 1, uh, John chapter one verse 4 says this, but the Lord, Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Can I tell you, I love when it says, but the Lord. I, I, I love it because in spite of all of my wisdom and omniscience and experience and discernment and lofty thinking and reasoning, the Lord has a moment where he says, okay, we're not going to do that. We'll, we'll do something else differently. But the Lord, I'm going to do something for you, Scott, that even though I heard what you're wanting to do, even though I see what you're wanting to do, just know I have other plans still yet and that I control all aspects of life. Notice this, that as he leaves the presence of the Lord, notice that there's no traffic jams on his way to the seaport. There's no declines on his credit card as he, as he buys tickets to board the ship. There's no, we're sorry that ship has already left. None of that. No problems onboarding, setting sail, sailing off in the sunset. Not at all. Make no mistake, disobedience has its moment. It's, it feels so smooth. It's got to be what God wants because I don't have any opposition to it. But the Lord will eventually catch up with you. Amen? I want you to know, in case you forgot, that he said he'd never leave you nor forsake you. He didn't just mean that in a good way. <laughs> he meant that also in a chasing way. If I got to hunt you down and find where you're at to bring you back, to remind you that you are mine, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You can't go so far. You can't do so much. You can't say something. You can't be something. You, you can't so much, right, where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. Because why? He says, I'm never going to leave you. And guess what? You're never going to leave me. I'm going to chase you and find you where you're at. Because when I find you where I got you, right where you're at, on the seas, 
where you can't run from me no more. I'm going to remind you that I'm in charge of the seas. There's so much here I'd like to go through, but I want to just bring your attention to a couple of things that will characterize the disobedience of Jonah's heart. Maybe this might jog some memories with you. Verse 5 says this, Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea of, to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down in the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. And so as God begins to turn the heat up, even the ungodly begin to pray. But not Jonah. No, I'm not going to pray because I know if I pray, I got I to gotta own up to what I'm doing. I'm not going to talk to you, Lord. And I find it incredibly powerful of a statement here. That as I look at Jonah and everyone else has moved to conviction, but his heart and heart allows him to sleep. What's it like for your heart to be asleep when the ungodly are praying for, for you or for others, for God to come and change our situation? I would tell you that a disobedient heart prioritizes comfort over conviction. Let me just inspect your prayer life for a second and ask you. A disobedient heart prioritizes comfort over conviction. Where are you and I today? Where are you and I today? God has called us to a place to call upon his name, to seek him while he is near, call upon him while he can be found. And where is our heart today? Are we, are we entertaining and prioritizing our comfort over our conviction? Verse 12 says this, he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, and then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great temptest has come upon you. Even as he is asked by those who are suffering from his disobedience, Jonah refuses to enter into prayer for the sake of others. Wow. Nor will he act on their behalf. He didn't say, let me jump into the sea for you. He said, I'm not even going to move my body. I don't want none of me to agree with this whole plan God has. And so he says, if you want it to go away, then you're going to have to throw me into the sea. What I see here is a disobedient heart justifies its inaction even at the cost of others. That a, a disobedient heart justifies its inaction. I just can't do that. I'm not going to do it. But people need you to pray. I just can't do it. I just, I, I got too much stuff going on. I just can't do, I can't commit, I can't sacrifice, I can't make time, I can't make discipline. All the while your marriage is failing. All the while your kids are falling back, backsliding from you. All the while you're, you're facing all kinds of anxiety and addiction. All the while your family needs you, your friends need you, your coworkers need you. This world needs you to step up. We need you to be a part of the family of Christ in this body. All the while, while people need you, you say, you know what, I can justify my inaction even though it will cost other people. But then we move to verse 17, and it says, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. During the days of Jonah, you should know this, that there was a lot of uh, folklore and belief that the sea was known for its vast evilness, right? Because it's mystery. No one knows what it is. People are not diving to the bottom. We don't have science and technology. And so what they know about the ocean was simply this, is that it is mysterious and we don't know and there's big great monsters that dwell in it and this was the belief so here is 
Jonah and he's in the middle of what they might say is the abyss of evil. And he's trying to get away from God and here he is thrown into this great abyss. And the whale, which was the largest known creature, was thought to be the ocean's ruler. And so as I I saw this, I thought, Lord, what are you trying to show us here? And I would suggest to you, as it came to me, that let me remind you that God is Lord over all. But you can't run from him. Man may choose to run from the presence of God, but he may never run from his sovereignty. You may get away from where God's presence is, but God's sovereignty is over all. You see, if we do not make him Lord of it all, we must still acknowledge the fact that he is Lord over overall. You cannot find your darkness. You cannot escape into your sin. Your shame is not so concealing. Your embarrassment, your whatever, whatever your justification it is, it's not great enough to keep you from the hand of God who governs the dark places of your life and those things that rule over it. He is still a sovereign God. So I find in this moment, in the passage that the Lord Incredibly, out of nowhere, he, unique, he uniquely places this whale to be at the right time, at the right place. And I think, wow, look at this. The Lord loves us so much that he commands the dark things of our life that swallow us whole to be where they're supposed to be, when they're supposed to be. Could you entertain the idea for a moment that perhaps the thing that's consuming you is not because you made a mistake, not just because it's a consequence of your sin, but perhaps you've been running from the presence of God for too long and the Lord has commanded that thing to swallow you whole in your life that he might remind you and save you from your despair so that you might once again call upon him. The Lord is not concerned with any other thing except you, and so he will bring you along from disobedience to despair. Either way, the Lord is asking you to call upon his name. Whether your prayer is, here I am and send me, or here I am and save me, he is going to call on you in a place where you'll have to call upon him. Prayer is in your being. It is innate in you. Even atheists, when they're in a, in a dark situation, know who to call upon. I remember a time, I may have told you before, but I was out with some students and I was swimming in the ocean and, and uh, I was fairly confident in my ability to swim. And, and as I got out, as a matter of fact, I was just curious the other day just to kind of look at it and, and, and I mapped it out and kind of geeked out too hard, but I realized I was three and a half football stadiums away from the shoreline. And that was a long way uh, because the hotel was really small. And I put my head down and said, Scott, you swim thousands of yards. Let's go. Let's get it. And so as I began to swim, I realized I wasn't going anywhere. I didn't know. I'm, I'm just a uh, city boy <laughs> from Arkansas. And I don't know what a riptide is. I had no clue what a riptide is, but I was caught in one, didn't know it. And so it took me far out, and I was swimming with all I had, and my arms began to go just empty, and my legs began to no longer kick. And, and so I'm just trying to hurl my body up wave upon wave, but as the wave would rise, it would carry me up, and then, and then it, would, it would drop me down. And since I was heavier than water, it would throw me beneath the wave, and I would go into the water. And as I'd swim back up, I was back on top of a wave again, and it would dunk me again and over and over and over again. And... And I, I just began to count my breaths because I knew 
that I was going to be doing. And in a moment, I, I just had time where I just believed, Lord, I don't know what else I can give you. <laughs> I've given you everything I can. And the only thing I remember calling out to God and saying was simply this. He said, Lord, there's only one reason why you'd keep me here. He said, you can replace me in doing everything else in this world, but there's nobody else that a father of my children like me. And so literally in that moment where I felt that, 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 that feeling in my heart, from all that I knew and was, I just cried out, Jesus, save me. Jesus, save me. And I'm so far away. There's no helicopter. There's no boat. There's nobody on the beach. It's just us. And can I tell you that 350 yards away, my toe felt some sand. And I went down a second time, and I felt the ball of my foot touch that sand. I shoved up with all I had, and I came up, and I just took the biggest, you know, and just filled up as much breath as I could because I, I was about two breaths away from just slipping off into the deep. And the Lord, uh, somehow I, I walked on this incredible sand bank. I don't know. Uh, the story is incredible after that, honestly. I, I was walking on sand, and I had one of my students was trying to save me, and she was drowning, and I was pulling on her, and I was walking. She was like, I told her, get up, start walking. She's like, there's nothing to walk on, you know, and so I'm just walking, you know. And um, anyway, the Lord saved me. I'm here, but I learned something in that moment is that, boy, in that moment, church, in that moment, when I said, Jesus saved me, here's, here's what I was not thinking. Oh, I'm not righteous enough. Oh, I've not been good enough. Oh, Lord, I failed you so many times. Lord, you can look at my life. It's not really that righteous, you know. I mean, I, I can't promise you tomorrow, God, but to, none of those things. My prayer was absolutely unconditional. I couldn't make anything. I couldn't justify a prayer. I just knew that I needed God. I just needed God in that moment to do what I could not do. And so what I'm asking you this morning is simply this, is that maybe you've not come back to the place in your life, in your prayer life, that says, I don't have any excuses. I don't have any reasons. I just know one thing, God. I need you. I need you. Is that where you're at in your heart and your life today? Is that you would kick off all the lies and excuses why as you don't pray or you don't pray dutifully or, or your prayer's not delightful to God? Why, what, what, what objection have you, have you offered to God's order for you to pray? And can I tell you just to simplify it? Because the Lord hears the heart. That calls upon. Matter of fact, the Lord says this. He says, if you'll call upon me in your day of trouble, I will hear you and I will save you and then you will glorify me. The relationship is simply this, is that you call and he answers. You call and he answers. So start calling. He said ask and he would what? Answer. He said seek and you would what? Fine. He said knock and it would what? Why don't you? Why don't you do that? And, and not just at home, but even here. When you come into this church, can I tell you, there might be some people here who have no idea what it's like to really pray. 
I've always been taught and I believe that prayer is not taught. Prayer is caught. You need someone to come along you and say, this is how you pray. You need to hear them praying. I can teach you all day, but you need to be discipled in the act of prayer. And so if you don't have that confidence, that's great. Find somebody in here who knows how to bring the holy glory of God down when they pray, when they say, oh, Father. (laughs) You know who that is. We need to be at a place in life where we're not worried about anything else that justifies why God would and would not listen. You need to believe on the fact that when you call, he answers. That when you call, he answers And every other thing that comes into our life and our mind is a lie of the enemy. And to entertain his lie is to to obey that master. I'm calling you to a place of prayer this morning. And so what we see finally is the obedience of Jonah. Chapter 2, verse 1 says this, Then Jonah prayed. Finally he opens up. Finally he gives way. Finally he's done. But here's why. The Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress. And he answered me, out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep. Into the heart of the seas, the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. He goes on down to say, yet you brought me up. Uh, you brought up my life from the pit, O oh Lord, my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. I find it peculiar in this story that godless men prayed and free creatures obeyed. That's telling me that, that God says, I can change what's naturally inside of you, and I can change your nature if you'll just listen to my word. I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. The word distress comes from the very act of a narrowing or a closing. And, and in fact, it, 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 the, the best picture is really uh, a, a mother uh, who was, uh, she, it's the first time she's been pregnant, and she's giving uh, birth to her child for the very first time. And that distress, that pain, is the narrowing of the road for that child. And the pain that it produces is what we know as despair in terms of Hebrew, uh, Hebrew words or Hebrew vocabulary. And so what we know is simply this, is that despair is the Lord narrowing your path because you didn't choose the correct path. He narrows your direction. He finally brings you to a place that you have to decide who you're going to call on. Can I ask you that in a moment where you've you experience confinement, maybe you have anxiety this morning of some stress or some situations, can I tell you that God is narrowing your path? If you feel like you're in a despair moment, God is narrowing your path. Why? That you might call out to God and call on his name. Eventually, the road narrows. Eventually, obedience is yielded. Hopefully, obedience is yielded. I want to end with this. It says that he was in the belly for three days of the fish for three days and three nights. And I, I love uh, numerology. Numerology is the study of, of spiritual uh, emphasis in Scripture. What is the significance of that number? It's all throughout Scripture. And the word three, the number three, is a very important number, as you might know. And so as I did some research, what I found is simply this, is that three represents 
completion. Completion. In fact, they liken and Jesus and Matthew is likened his resurrection and his death is likened to that of Jonah in the belly of the fish. And so as I looked into that word, here's what I saw in the number three. Three days, three days, he was dead. Three hours, he hung on that cross. And on the third day, he rose again. And on the third hour, he was separated from the presence of God. Can I tell you that every bit of what Jesus went through was for your completion. He completed your ruin on the cross, but he completed your salvation on the cross as well. On the next day when he arose, he completed your righteousness before God himself. The Lord is about completion. But my question to you is this. Are you going to lean on Christ for your completion? Or are you going to lean on crisis? Because either way, God loves you. And he will close in around you. He will narrow your path with despair. And hopefully your prayer will be, God send me long before it's God save me. And so here's what I'm asking you this morning. What I see in scripture is Jonah. Jonah was in a place that he would not pray. And then he was in a place where where he he could almost not pray any longer. He didn't want to pray in the beginning. Then he found himself in a place where he almost lacked his ability to pray. I wonder what it would be like for you and I if we could no longer pray. In fact, uh, in January is the national month for prayer and fasting. What if instead of prayer and fasting, we fasted from prayer? What if we just don't pray for January? What does that mean? That means like, I'm asking you to don't pray at home and don't pray when you come here. I'm asking you to don't text me and call me for your prayer requests. Don't call the main office for prayer requests. Keep those to yourself. Don't come to church and pray during worship. And and we're not going to have altar calls. We're we're not going to do those things. We're not going to pray for people who have needs for a whole month, for 30 days. We're not going to pray at all. I guess that some of y'all might have the spirit of Daniel inside of you. You said, Pascal, you ain't going to tell me not to pray. I will go to the top of my house and open up all my windows and I will pray so you can hear me praying. I don't care what you say. I'm going to pray anyway. I'm going to write five different prayer requests on the back of that car. I'm going to show up every day and ask you to pray for me no matter what. I'm going to come down the altar while you're preaching. I'm going to pray. You can't tell me not to pray. Who are you, the government? So I thought maybe that's not wisdom to ask you to not pray. But what I did think was this. If that would be your response for me to say, don't pray. What would be your response if I said, come pray? If your heart would be to rise up to keep me from being denied prayer, then what would it be if I said, come, let's pray? Would it not be more? Should it not be more? You hear my heart this morning? Church, I so bad want to go on this journey of prayer. 
I so bad want you to come with me. And so when I ask you to pray, I'm not asking you to check boxes. I'm asking you to come near the presence of God. Because all of us have an order. All of us have a calling. All of us have a reason. And can we put our objections aside and don't rely on the ordeal and not rely on the crisis to complete us, but we would find Christ here and that he would complete us? How would you respond if I said, let's pray? I'm going to pray right now. And then I'm going to ask you to join me at these altars. He said, let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you. I know, God, that I, I don't rightly deserve to come to you. I know, Lord, that my life is not perfect and flawless, Lord. I, I know you love me and you, you've called me, Lord. And I want to make things better in my life. And so I pray that as I journey from duty to delight, I, I pray that you would invite this family with me. To invite my friends with me. I pray, God, you'd meet us at these altars, Lord, and you would change our heart, God, and give us strength and courage. But also, Lord, meet our needs. Meet our needs, Lord. People want to know people, God, who have a God who can meet their needs. And so don't just meet our needs, God, for us, but, God, meet our needs for your glory's sake so that people might look upon us and follow us to a place that they might find for themselves you. Father who's loving and forgiving and desires to be with them. And so God, I pray that you would spare your hand on the seas of our life and that you would once again welcome us, God, into the presence of God. That we might seek you, God, and say, Lord, here I am. Send me. But Lord, if we don't, Father, I pray for myself, God, if I don't, then do whatever you got to do in my life in our church's life to bring us to the place where we say, oh God, save us. We just want to be able to call upon your name and be in your presence. We ask it in Jesus' name. Would you come and join me at the altar?